0: Thank you for joining us today. At Res Life, our mission is to develop committed followers of Jesus Christ to reach the world. Our content is created to equip and empower you in God's purpose. We hope you enjoy this message. Really, really great to see you today. I want to continue talking today about the blood. And the reason I want to do this is because it is so absolutely important. There is no forgiveness without the blood. There's no redemption without the blood. You can't come into God's presence without the blood. You cannot go to heaven without the blood. The Bible tells us, in fact, I'll just read this over in Romans chapter 3, verse 25. Whom God has set forth to be a propitiation or a sacrifice or a mercy seat through faith in his blood. You can know a lot about Jesus. You can know about God. You can know a lot about the Bible but the Bible tells us very specifically that you need to have faith in the blood. You cannot have faith in what you do not know. Faith is dependent on knowledge. Uh, you, you look all through the new Testament and the blood of Jesus is all over, but so seldom is it talked about in the church today, today yet in probably two more weeks, uh, I want to take one week, and talk to you about the scriptural basis of pleading the blood and how to plead the blood. The Bible tells us that the devil is the accuser of the brethren. Is there anybody here who's ever been accused about the devil? Absolutely, right? So, So how do you handle that? What do you do when the devil says, well, you did this and you did that and you're guilty and what about this and what about that? How do you handle those situations and how does the blood of Jesus practically bring us to victory? You know, the Bible says you overcome him by the blood of the lamb, by the blood of the lamb and the word of your testimony. So we're going to be talking about that in the weeks to come. But today I would like to start first Peter chapter one, verse 18 says, you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from the. Well, it depends on your translation. Some will say the aimless conduct the way of life that you received from your parents. Now, you weren't redeemed with anything corruptible. Nothing from this world could redeem you because there is a part of you that did not come from this world. When God created Adam and Eve, he breathed into him and a part of God, the spirit came into him. The Bible tells us in Hebrews that God is the father of spirits. Your spirit did not come from your parents, it came from God. That part of you you came from the eternal God realm. And because of that, you could not be redeemed from something that is going to perish and pass away. You had to be redeemed from something that literally came from that eternal God realm. So you weren't redeemed with a corruptible thing, but with the precious blood of Christ. So you were redeemed from the condition that humanity fell into. God created Adam and Eve sinless, but they fell from that condition and they reproduced in the condition that they fell into, not the, the position that they were created in. So God redeems you. He brought you back. Some translations say from the domain of darkness, from the gloom and doom, the darkness and gloom of Satan's kingdom. The translation says the grip. Of the power of darkness because of where we started is like Satan had a grip on you but Jesus redeemed you from that grip you're free you are free now acts 20 verse 28 says the church of God which he purchased with his own blood the, the, the value of blood is in the worth of of the life. The power of blood is in the worth of the life. And God redeemed you with his own blood. In other words, the blood that Jesus shed was not some sort of a contaminated human blood. It was God's blood. The Bible calls it precious blood. Jesus' blood was the power of divine life dwelling and working. And it is an unceasing power. That was what was able to redeem you. Now, Revelation chapter 1 and verse 5. Well, first, let me just mention this. The book of Revelation to a lot of people seems to be very mystical, very strange, very hard to understand. And part of that is because we're looking at it completely wrong. When you talk about the book of Revelation, people think, ooh, end times. Spooky, scary stuff. But if you look at the first verse, it says, the Revelation of Jesus Christ. It is not a revelation of end times. It's a revelation of Jesus. Of what he's done, of what he's doing, and what he is going to do. It is a revelation of Jesus. So verse five says, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, the ruler of the kings of the earth, to him who loved us and washed us from our sins, in his own blood. I were mean, you glad for the blood for forgiveness? But there's more. And the, the, because of the blood has made us to be kings and priests to his God and Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Now, because of the blood, Jesus has made you to be a priest to God the Father. In fact, if you possibly can, I want you to turn to somebody and just say, I'm a priest. And then turn the other side and say, and you're a priest too. He made you to be a priest. Now, when, when God is bringing the children of Israel out of Egypt, his purpose originally was that the whole nation were going to be priests. In fact, this is what he said to go tell Said to Moses, go tell Pharaoh, let my people go that they may serve me, that they may serve me. That was God's plan. In fact, he said, the whole nation are going to be priests. Well, they, they, they started out, they, they go through the sea, they end up at the mount. Moses goes up, talks with God for 40 days and the people get a little wild. They make a golden calf and start having a party. And Moses is coming down from the mountain. He's got the Ten Commandments. He doesn't even make it down. And they've broken all of them. And he throws them down. And he breaks them. And and God is looking at this. And uh, Moses begins to pray and intercedes for the people. And, And God says, all right. He said, we're not going to have everybody be priests because these people are crazy. <laughs> Literally, I mean, that, that, that's saying it really nice. He says, these people are crazy. He says, but I'm going to take the tribe of Levi because they've stood with me and I'm going to make them to be priests. In fact, he said, the Lord separated the tribe of Levi to bear the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord, to stand before the Lord, to minister him and to bless in his name. So instead of having the entire tribe nation as priest, which was God's original plan. What happened was only one tribe. But today the Bible says that by the blood of Jesus, you have been made a priest. It says you're a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. You are a priest. You're a part of a royal priesthood. Now in the book of Hebrews, it says when the law is changed, there has to be a change of the priesthood. The Old Testament law, the Old Testament is the old way of righteousness. The New Testament, the new way of righteousness. There is a new law and there is a new priesthood. So we are now not Levitical priests or Aaronic priests, but we're priests after the order of Melchizedek. And maybe we'll talk about that before we get done today. But the Bible says that you right now, you are a royal priesthood. Not when you get to heaven, but here today. Not in the sweet by and by, but right now here in the nasty here and now. You're a priest and you're to proclaim and to announce and and to show and to bring the kingdom of God every place that you go. God originally was just going to separate the entire nation, then the tribe. But today, every believer is a priest. Every believer is called Every believer is anointed. And, and notice it said one of the things that that priests are going to do, he said, is they're going to bless in his name. They're going to bless in his name. You're a priest. Because of it, everything that you do is holy. Not just a few things, but everything that you do is holy. And so God told the children of Israel, he well told Moses, tell the Levites. He said, here's what I want you to do. He says, I want you to tell the Levites. That they're supposed to go and bless in my name. So how do you bless in his name? In fact, I love what he says. Tell them to bless saying. How do you bless? Saying. The Lord bless you. The Lord keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you. And then I love what God says. He says, and I will bless them. I will bless them. Realize as a priest, one of the things that you do is you bless And God says, when you bless, when you speak, he says, I will back you up. He said, I will bless them when you speak. I think that is one of the most awesome things about the priesthood. Of course, the Old Testament priests, they were constantly offering sacrifices. Well, we don't offer sacrifices, but we announce the sacrifice that's been made. That's Jesus' sacrifice. We announce that sacrifice. And of course, the the Old Testament priests were worshipers. The Bible refers to different temples. There was was Moses' tabernacle. Then Solomon built one. Zerubbabel built one. Herod built one. But it's interesting. The one that God really liked was none of those. And it's David's tabernacle. And somebody said, well, David didn't have one. Well, yes, he did. It did. In fact, God tells us in the book of Acts that he's going to bring that back in the last days. And here's the difference. The other one, once a year, they could come where the ark was, where God's presence was. Of course, only the high priest and never without blood. But when David had the tabernacle, he brings the, the ark into Jerusalem and he just sets up a big tent. And he puts the ark in the tent. And anybody, listen, anybody could go straight into God's presence. It's the only time it ever happened. Anybody could go in there. But he, he arranged to have The Levites in their 24 hours a day in shifts, there were about 2000 of them that were a part of this and all that they did was worship. They were just the singers and the worshipers. 24 hours a day, 24-7, 365 in his presence, there was worship. Now, as a priest, you and I are worshipers. We are worshipers. That's part of the calling that's on us today as priests. Andrew Murphy says this about that that priesthood. He says, in each relationship of his life, his home, his business, commercial, or political affairs, he must give himself up to be led by the Holy Spirit, to live according to the law of God for his glory, and then the blood in its reconciling, cleansing, sanctifying power will embrace everything in the peace of God. Will flood into the situation. In other words, because every place you go, you're anointed, you're called, you're a priest, you bring the presence of God and the kingdom of God every place that you go and in everything that you do. In fact, the Bible says, whatever you do, whatever you do, You do it all for the glory of God in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. You say, why? Everything I do. Because you are a priest. And when you show up, God shows up. When you show up, the kingdom shows up. T.L. Osborne may be a name that some of you don't know, but in the 20th century, T.L. Osborne spoke to more people face to face than anyone that ever lived. He did most of his, his meetings in South America, but really particularly in Africa millions of people would come even in one service to hear him preach. Tremendous, tremendous evangelist. Now, he made this statement. He said, the only call of God on my life is Mark 16. He said, God never told me to do anything except Mark 16 says, go into all the world and preach the gospel. Never had a vision, never heard a voice, just Mark 16. And people said, well, why do you have such success? He says, because when I arrive.'" The kingdom of God arrives. When you arrive, the kingdom arrives because you bring it with you. Jesus said, The kingdom of God, it is within you. He said, It's not over here or over there, it's within you. Colossians 1 and 20. And by him to reconcile all things to himself, by him, whether things on earth or things in heaven, having made peace through the blood of his cross. Now, we don't have time to talk about it, but the cross, what Jesus' blood on the cross affected things on earth, but the Bible says it affected things in heaven. Not just on earth, but things in heaven. And he made peace through the blood of his cross. So peace with God happened because of what Jesus did. No effort on your part, no effort on my part, Jesus, with his blood, took everything out of the way that could separate you from God. Everything was taken out of the way by the blood of his cross. Andrew Walmack says this, religion, false religions, man's concepts, not God ordained salvation, teaches that right standing with God and blessing comes as a result of our own goodness and works. It always preaches. You must come to church. You must pay your tithe. You need to pray. You need to do this. You need to do that. And if you don't do all these things then God won't accept you. Listen, that is not the gospel. That is anti gospel. It's the good news of God's grace because it puts the burden. Excuse me. It's against the good news of God's grace because it puts the burden of salvation on you back on you. And nobody can save themselves. By the blood of his cross, he reconciled you to God. He took everything out of the way because what happened at the cross, you you, you read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and it's like taking a photograph and seeing what happened. It's like you were there with your eyes looking. Now, right now, you can see that I have on brown shoes and a pair of nice jeans. However, however, if you were to take an x-ray of my foot and my leg. How many of you know it would look totally different? Same foot, same leg, totally different. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, photograph. Romans, through revelation, is an x-ray. It's not as man saw it, it's as God saw it. What did God see at the cross? Well, you can find out exactly what God saw. In fact, oh in fact, 131 times. 131 times it says what God saw in him in whom in the beloved what God did at the cross so Colossians 2 listen to this having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us which was contrary to us having taken it out of the way having nailed it to his cross now it says the handwriting of requirements you remember when Moses went up on the mountain the Bible says that God took his finger And he wrote in tablets of stone. You say the Ten Commandments? Yes. However, there were not ten. So you know this. There were 613. Now, I've had trouble with the ten. And let me tell you, everybody's blown the 613. Everybody. And they were against you. Now, if you had been there and you had taken a picture You'd have seen three crosses, Jesus in the middle, up on top of his cross is a parchment, and in three languages it says Jesus, the King of the Jews. But if you could have taken a picture with a spiritual camera, you would have literally seen God's hand nailed to the cross a list. I want to read it again. He took it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. What? the handwriting of requirements that was against us. Every sin that anybody could ever commit, God nailed it to that cross. And with his blood, Jesus paid for those sins. Now, past, present, and future. Because if he didn't pay for your future sins, we were all in trouble because all of ours were future at that time. Now, the result of all of that, you, you remember, the priest would go into the Holy of Holies. The Ark of the Covenant was there. The mercy seat opened the lid. There's all those commandments in there, right? On top of the angels, their wings are spread out. And God said, my presence is going to be right there above that mercy seat where you put the blood. That's where I'm going to meet with you. It's called the mercy seat. It says, Hebrews 10, 19. Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest. That's where that mercy seat is, where the ark is, where God's presence is. By the blood of Jesus. Jesus' blood took everything out of the way. The Old Testament priest went in once a year, never without blood. The Bible says when he went in, they put tradition says, excuse me. They tied a rope around his, his ankle because if he did anything wrong, he dropped dead. No volunteers to go get him. But Jesus put his blood on that mercy seat. And now the Bible says we have boldness to enter. That high priest once a year, not without blood, he shook. Because if he did anything wrong, he'd be dead. Hebrews 4.16, let us then fearlessly, confidently, and boldly draw near to the throne of grace. The throne of God's unmerited favor to us sinners. That's the mercy seat. That may, we may receive mercy for our failures. How many years you've failed, you've sinned, you've fallen short? There is mercy. And you can go boldly to get mercy and find grace to help. So, so the blood of Jesus did not just take care of your sin. The blood of Jesus brought you into the presence of God to his mercy seat to find grace. Now, grace is different than mercy. Mercy has to do with your past, but grace has to do to help you today and tomorrow. So the blood of Jesus does not just deal with your past. It helps you today. and It'll help you tomorrow. Grace is God's supernatural ability to do what you cannot do in you through you and for you to find grace to help in good time for every need, which need every need, spiritual, financial, physical, relational, work, school, home, to find grace to help in good time for every need, appropriate help, well-timed help coming just when you need it. You see, Jesus took everything out of the way, that kept you from God. So now you can boldly come into his presence because of the blood of Jesus. The Bible tells us in the book of Hebrews that that blood right now is on that mercy seat in God's presence, and it is speaking on your behalf. And it says, bless them, heal them, deliver them, prosper them, give them peace. It is speaking on your behalf right now. And that blood demonstrates God's love for you and for me. Now, so often we go to the center and we say, hey, just come to God, get right with God. Well, I've done this, that's all right, that's all right. The blood of Jesus covers it. The Bible says that God demonstrated his love towards us. while well, we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. But then once somebody gets saved and they make a mistake, ooh, we're like, ooh, I don't know. God's not gonna answer your prayers anymore. God's not gonna bless you anymore. Man, you're in trouble. The next verse says, how much more? Having now been justified by his blood. To be justified by his blood to be made just as if you'd never sinned by his blood. We shall be saved from wrath through him. So the sinner gets saved. We say God loves you. But the believer messes something up and struggles and we say God's going to punish you. That is not gospel. That's anti-gospel. You see, what God looks at is he looks at that blood, and that is precious blood to God. It's his own blood. It represents Jesus' suffering, his obedience, and, and his death. In the blood of Jesus, the blood that is powerful in heaven is also powerful in your heart. The Bible says it'll cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. Ephesians 4, verse 11. And he himself gave some to be apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers, for the equipping of the saints to do the work of the ministry. Now, literally for 1,700 years, this is where the church has missed it more than any place else. We have come to believe that there are certain people that God uses. They're they're like special you know, they're, 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 the God uses them, and they're supposed to do everything, and we're supposed to sit in the pew. But the Bible literally says, for example, my job is to equip you to do the work of the ministry. They think, well, <laughs> somebody said, well, pastor, you know, you only talk a couple times a week. You know, I've been paying my tithes for years. Would you please do something? I'm supposed to equip you to do something. That's my job. My job is not to do something, my job is to equip you, a priest, because of the blood of Jesus, to do something. We thought, well, we got the professional or we've got this pastor or whatever, and they're gonna do it all. See, but every child of God has a is anointed of God, is called of God, is a priest of God, and has duties. In fact, Jesus is our example. He said, I didn't come to be served, I came to serve. Listen. Don't hide your talent. Don't hide your talent. Jesus tells a story about a rich man or a king who gives five talents to one, two to one, and one to one. And the one who only received one, he hid it. He hid it. He said, you know, I've just got one. It ain't much. Whatever God has given us, we need to use. Don't hide the talent that you have. There is nothing that is too small. There is nothing that is too humbling to do for our king. There is nothing insignificant in the kingdom of God. Not that nothing is insignificant in the kingdom of God, because we are not going to be rewarded for what we do. We're going to be rewarded for the faithfulness with which we do it. Whether you're speaking to 25,000 people or two kids, five years old in a children's class, the one who gets the greatest reward is not the one who's ministering to the most people. It's the one who's the most faithful. So often we think, wow, that's so insignificant. No, nothing that anyone does in the kingdom is insignificant. It is worthwhile surrendering everything to fulfill the call of God that is on our life. You know, when when we do that, our life becomes extraordinary. Ephesians 2.10, For we are God's own workmanship, Recreated in Christ Jesus, born anew, listen, that we may do the good works which God predestined planned beforehand for us. Taking paths, he prepared ahead of time that we should walk in them. So God has prepared good works and paths for every single believer. Every believer is called. Every believer is anointed. And God has things that he wants every believer to do. Now, here's the crazy thing. We think, well, if I just do what God wants me to do, things are going to be pretty boring. I remember when I was not saved, and I was under conviction to get saved. And I really thought, "This is what I thought. I thought, if I get saved, the rest of my life is going to be like I was baptized in lemon juice. I mean, it's just going to be sour. I thought, I'm never going to have fun again in my life. I really did. That's what I thought. But it's better than going to hell. So I can say, listen to the rest of this verse, live in the good life. Living the good life. He prearranged and made ready for you to live. You see, you, 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 you do not know what the good life is until you're living the one he made for you. See, God created an eagle to fly in the sky, a whale to swim in an ocean, and he created you for relationship with him, and he created you. He has paths prepared for you. He has prepared things specifically for you to do. And if you don't do them, they won't get done. They won't get done. You know, the Bible tells us that we're a body. How many of you know that if we just cut off my thumb, I'd miss it? You just, you, you just, anybody here ever break a toe? Oh, man, they're so little and they just seem like, what do they do? Man, when it's not there working right, wow, it affects everything. And the same thing is true with, with the body of Christ. Every single one of us needs to be doing what we were created to do. See, what makes a person great is not who serves them, but it's who you serve. Jesus said, if you want to be great, he didn't say it was bad to want to be great. He said, whoever wants to be great needs to be the servant of all. To be great, you serve. To find your life, Jesus said you have to give your life. To be filled, you need to empty yourself. To have true riches, he said you need to give generously. To save your life, he said you need to give your life. When you passionately, totally devoted your, you devote yourself to Jesus, to the work that he's called you to do, there is no better, no fuller life. So I said, it's the good life that he prearranged and made ready for you to live. Say, would you bow your heads for just a moment? Thank you for watching and being a part of our online family. Subscribe to our channel for access to all of our videos and live services. You can also be notified when a new service becomes available if you ring the notification bell. We cannot do this without you. You can support this ministry and help us reach more people with the word by giving at reslife.org give. Thanks again for watching. Be blessed.